0: We are in the season of Epiphany and Epiphany comes from the Greek word to make manifest or to to reveal, to show. We celebrated the season of Advent which is about the once and future coming of Jesus Christ, the one who has come and is coming, the promised one. Uh, Then we enter into the season of Christmas where we celebrate Jesus' taking on flesh, his incarnation for us and for our salvation. But Epiphany is about how Jesus, this Jesus came, not just for the Jewish people, but to be a light to the world. That he came in mission and how he has called his people to reflect that light and be a mission. And so, we're going to start a new series today on the book of 1 Peter, which is all about how do God's people reflect His light in the world. And we'll take this series into Lent, because 1 Peter is also about how do we follow, take up our crosses and follow our suffering Savior. Which is what the season of Lent is all about. But today, we are starting... uh, in Epiphany with these opening verses in First Peter. So if you have a Bible, take one, take it out, uh, turn to that um, book. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles for you in the credenza in the, uh, in the um, opening of the sanctuary over there. You can get up and go grab one. I'd encourage you to do so. Let me pray for us. God, you are light, and in, in you there is no darkness at all. Shine your light upon us. Reveal to us who you are, especially as you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. And may we behold his glory, and in beholding his glory, may we shine forth as lights in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the 2015 film Brooklyn is about a young woman who travels reluctantly to America in the 1950s in search of work. She can't find work in Ireland, where she's from, and so her sister uh, contacts a priest who lives in Brooklyn. The priest finds a place for uh, Ilis, the uh, main character, the young woman, finds a place for ILlis to work and to live. She moves to America and when she gets to Brooklyn, it is a wonderland. I mean, she has never experienced the tall buildings, the the bustling city, all the excitement that is going on there. But she also experiences something else. She experiences the discomfort of being in a place that is not her home. People can't understand her accent she doesn't understand the currency and so she makes sure that she gives exact change every time she pays for something in order not to get swindled. And at night, she goes to her room alone and she weeps. Homesick. Homesick for Ireland. Have you had that experience before? I think it's very relatable. That experience, that ache of being homesick and longing for home, of being uh, uncomfortable because you felt like you just weren't at home where you were. You felt like a stranger in a strange land. Maybe it was the first time you visited a foreign country. Maybe it was when you went off to university for the first time maybe it was uh, the, like you did what I did and you house-sitted for someone for a summer and when you were there, all their stuff was left there and you had nowhere to put your things and you were wondering, where can I put my things and make this place home? The decorations just didn't feel like you and it just didn't feel right. Do you know that ache? Do you know that experience? In the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a people who experience that ache, who are homesick. They feel like strangers in a strange land. He addresses them as exiles. Look in verse 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersia and Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. An exile is someone who has a home but for some reason or another they're not able to live in their home. They're forced away from their home. Maybe they were forced out by a natural disaster like what happened with Hurricane Katrina when many people from New Orleans were forced to leave their home and live in a different place. Maybe it's some political turmoil that forces someone to leave their home like like those or what has recently happened in Afghanistan. In whatever case, there's a sense where these people know that where they are living is not their home and they long to be home. They want to go home. They are exiles. They are strangers. They are sojourners. They are traveling. You know, this theme of exile and longing for home is a theme that runs right through the Bible. From the earliest pages of... The scriptures and the earliest chapters of Genesis, when Adam and Eve are forced out of their home, the Garden of Eden, their true home, and when they're forced out, they have this ache, this longing to return, to get back to Eden, because they're forced east of Eden. Some chapters later, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, who is a wandering Aramean, a sojourner, who doesn't have a home, and he gives him a home, the land of Canaan, for him and his family, and Abraham goes there, But right after he moves there, a famine strikes and he's forced to go to Egypt. He's in exile in Egypt. He has some He has some difficulty there, but he ends up returning back. But then four generations later, his great grandkids, they are forced because of another famine to go back to Egypt. When they go back to Egypt, they're enslaved there for 400 years as exiles. They're exiles longing for home, enslaved. But God comes and he rescues them. He delivers them out of Egypt and he delivers them out of slavery into what? Into wandering, into sojourning. Forty years in the desert, they sojourn until they finally enter into the promised land of Canaan. When they're there in Canaan though, eventually moral and political decay sets in and finally the Babylonians come in. They invade Jerusalem, they sack it, and then they take off Israelites to Babylon, exiles Seven years later, some of them return home, but only a small portion. The rest of them end up scattered all throughout the Mediterranean basin. They are exiles, these Jews. And Peter is a Jew, and he is writing, and we would expect when he addresses the exiles and the dispersion that he's writing to Jews, but he's not. He's writing to non-Jews. He's writing to people who are from Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. These places were their home, but it's not their home anymore. Why? Here's the point when you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, you have a radically altered relationship to the place that you used to call home. When you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, this world is not your home anymore. The societies in which you live and work are not your home anymore. Your whole relationship to this world changes because you become a follower of Jesus. Where was his home? He was born in Bethlehem, but he was born in Bethlehem because his family had to migrate there because of political turmoil. Then when Herod comes to slaughter the innocents, he has to migrate to Egypt. He spends his early years in Egypt. We say Jesus of Nazareth because he ended up in Nazareth and he grew up most of his life there, but but actually, eventually, he's kicked out of Nazareth. He's rejected there and people will not allow him back a prophet is without welcome in his hometown and so he wanders and someone comes to him and the, and they want to follow him and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8 verse 20 foxes have holes birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head follow me he had no home He knew that this world was not his home. He was looking for a different world. Yes, eventually this world would become his home. And yes, eventually this world will become our home. When God comes again to establish this as a dwelling place of righteousness, but but until then we follow the sojourning Jesus and we are sojourners. We are strangers in a strange land. And Peter knew that. In fact, he signs off his letter in chapter 5, verse 30. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 13. She who is in Babylon sends you greetings. Peter's not in Babylon. Peter's in Rome. But Babylon became the symbolic capital of exile. You see, Peter is saying, I am writing as an exile to exiles. I am writing as one who is homeless to the homeless. That's what it means to be a Christian. In fact, did you know that the church fathers, what one of the most common greetings there, there when the church fathers wrote to churches, do you know what one of their most common greetings to those churches was? How they'd address them? Papias, Clement, these folks that follow right after the apostles, they would say, To the church of God sojourning in Rome, to the church of God sojourning in Corinth. Could you imagine if we received a letter that said to the church of God sojourning in Santa Barbara? What would you think if you saw that letter? I would wonder who it was for. It must be somebody for somebody passing through. It can't be for us. No, it would be for us. See, the question that, that First Peter causes us to ask and answer right from the get-go is, do we see ourselves As exiles? Is that how we view the world? Do we view it more and do we view ourselves more as if we are exiles or as if we are immigrants? An immigrant is someone who is seeking to make a new place their home. An exile is someone who has a home But they know that they are traveling and just for a little while in a different place. And some of us I think we live more like immigrants than like exiles. We're looking to to try to make this world our home, to establish it, to make it feel comfortable. But it's not very easy, is it? See some of you, you've tried to rearrange the furniture. I've tried to rearrange the furniture. We've tried to put the artwork up that we like. We've tried to make it feel more homey. But it just, it just doesn't feel right. You know, the more we try to find comfort, the comforts of home in this world and in this society, well, if you try to do that, let me tell you, it is only going to become harder and more disappointing Pew Research in 2019 noted that the amount of people who professed that they were Christians has decreased 12% from the previous decade. The amount of people who say that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever, the nuns, as we call them, has risen 17%. Those are staggering numbers, and that's before the pandemic. I am sure it is a lot harder now. Population speaking, this world is not, this society is not becoming more Christian. It's becoming less so. Which means that it's going to feel stranger to you, and you are going to feel like a stranger to it. I was walking down the street the other day after a service. I was meeting people for lunch. As I'm going down, I pass the owner of my gym with some of the people who work there. And he looks at me, and he sees me in my clerical dress. And he sees this collar that I have on, and he goes, what is... And he starts reaching out, and he goes, oh, you forgot to remove this. He thought that I left the cardboard stay in from when you buy a shirt, right? Right? He goes, I've done that before. First, I'm thinking, how do you even get a shirt on and do that before? I don't even know. You're buying your necks way too big, man. Like, I can help you with that. But then I'm thinking, then I was like, oh, so, you know, you're a pastor, you're a clergy. He's like, you're not a pastor. What are you talking about? And then uh, another guy who works there's like, no, he really is. He really is. I like, you know, I'm like coming out to them uh, in that moment. It's always a wonderful experience. I was a stranger to them. Just bizarre. A stranger in a strange land. It's only going to become more and more like that. I hope you realize that. And maybe that's a good thing because maybe then we will realize who we really are. Exiles. That we are exiles. Now some of you, you feel this. You feel this discomfort. You feel like you are bizarre and strange in this world, and this world feels strange to you, and the society is like that. Some for some of you, I know this is a more recent experience, maybe. Others of you, you maybe don't feel this at all. You can't relate to this. Here's my question. What compromises have you had to make? in order for this world and this society to feel like home? What mentalities have you had to adopt in order for this world and this society to feel like home? What aspects of Christianity have you had to leave behind? And by the way, if this is a new experience for you, which ones did you com- what compromises did you make in the past? 20 years ago. 15 years ago. 10 years ago. What mentalities did you adopt? Because we have always been exiles. See, the reality is that life will be uncomfortable. And there will always be a quality of unease that exists when a Christian tries to live as a Christian in this world, any part of it. And that's hard, and I know that's hard. I don't like it. You don't like it. It doesn't feel good. I don't like to wonder. Can I put my feet up here? I don't like to wonder where does this go in the kitchen. I don't like to think. Well, do they put the do they put the um, cups up face up or face down? I don't. I don't like the anxiety of. Of feeling like, am I being a nuisance by being in the living room? I don't like that feeling. You don't like that feeling either, but that's the feeling that we are going to have in this world. So here's the question How do we persist to live as exiles in this society? How do we live as exiles, and how do we resist the temptation? To think that we're immigrants and try to make this world our home. How do we live with this reality of unease and this tension? Well, I think the opening of Peter gives us at least two very crucial resources for living as exiles in this world. And what I want to do with our time remaining is just to look at these two crucial resources for living as strangers in a strange land. And the first is this Peter wants us to know that yes you are exiles but you are not just exiles you are exiles that are sovereignly elected exiles Peter writes in verse 1 to those who are elect exiles to be elect is to be chosen to be picked to be selected selected by whom elected by whom When the Bible, when it uses this term elect, when it talks about someone being elect, it it always assumes that they're elect by God. Look at verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You are chosen by God the Father. He selected you. And this goes hand in hand throughout the Bible with being loved. To be elect means that you are loved. Not generally loved, but particularly loved. Not generically loved, but especially and in a especial way, loved. The foundational text for this is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 or 6 through 8. The Lord your God has chosen you. To be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. See, for God to choose a people is for him to set his love on that people. To be elect is to be loved. And not just loved, it's to be wanted, it's to be accepted, it's to be embraced. Isaiah chapter 41, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corner, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. To be elect is to be pursued. To be elect is to be embraced, not cast off. Isaiah 42 goes on, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. To be elect is to be loved in such a way that God delights in you. He sings over you. I talked to some folks this week uh, and they just started new relationships and to hear them describe the other person, it wasn't just description. It It was singing. It was delight. That's how God views you. If you are in Christ. And the New Testament picks up this theme. Ephesians 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us or Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As God's chosen ones, you are beloved. And you're not just loved, you're holy. Holy means you're special. That's what holy means. Holy doesn't first and foremost mean that someone or something has a morally perfect pedigree because cups in the temple were holy. They don't have a morally perfect pedigree. They're special. They're set apart for a special purpose and to be elect means that you are holy, that you are special. That's why verse 2 goes on to say that if you are elect, that you are elect in or by the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That just sounds like words. Big church words. Let's break it down. The word sanctification means to be set apart. A better word, a better translation would be to be consecrated. As things were consecrated for holy use, for God's service, you have been consecrated. If you are a Christian, you have been set apart particularly, especially by the Spirit. You are God's treasured possession. To be elect means that you are loved, you are embraced, you are are special. Special not because there's something in you that is intrinsically special, but special because God chose to love you. Do you realize how important this would be if you were in exile? I mean, to be in exile means that, that you that you will experience in some way misunderstanding because of that, even if unintentional, marginalization. It means that you will be rejected to a degree. It means that you will feel like a stranger. How important would it be to know in that circumstance, if you were loved by God? that you were chosen by him, that you were accepted by him. I have a friend who is in a prayer group with me and the prayers that he has uh, had for his, his middle son has been that his son would be, who's in early high school, that his son would be seen and known and wanted and feel seen and known and wanted. And I hear my friend pray for his his son, I thought, man, how important would that prayer have been for me when I was in middle school and high school? How important would it have been for you? One of the funniest TV shows, at least in the last 10 uh, years, is the TV show The Dairy Girls. So, The Derry Girls is about a group of girls, high schoolers, who live in Derry, Ireland, which is on the border of, between Northern Ireland and Ireland. And it's set in the 90s during the troubled times. And it is hysterical. One of the, um, one of the episodes is about one of the girls throwing an American-style prom at, the, um, at their Irish girls' school. And they throw this American-style uh, prom. And then one of the lead characters, Erin, she's going to go with her friends. But then she finds out that this guy that she has a crush on, John Paul, he breaks up with his girlfriend. So she puts herself in angles in a way where she's going to get invited by John Paul. And John Paul invites her. But then on the night of prom, he doesn't show up. And you just see her at the table and like she's just so distressed and she's looking up at the clock and the clock is ticking and the mom is so distressed and then eventually she gives up and she goes upstairs but then one of their friends this guy named James in the crew who actually because he's English uh, and they have a certain view towards Englishmen in Ireland um, he has to go to the all-girls school and he's a friend of theirs at the all-girls school and he was supposed to be away at like a I don't know, it was like a Doctor Who convention that weekend. But instead of going to the Doctor Who convention, he shows up and he takes Aaron to prom. He sees her. He knows her. He wants her. We all have that experience. It's not just in middle school and high school. It just looks different when you're an adult, right? Right? It's having nowhere to go for holidays. It's being passed over for the promotion. It's having other people celebrated for their performance at work and you're not. We all know that experience and we all know the desire and the need to be seen and known and wanted. And what Peter is saying is you are seen and you are known and you are wanted. While society may reject you, God accepts you. While society may marginalize you, God pursues you. While society may find you strange or different, God says, Yes, I have made you different and I have made you strange, special in my eyes and to me. And while the world may prove to be an inhospitable environment, God offers you his hospitality. You have a home in the loving arms of God who you get to call father and Christ who you get to call brother. You are not just exiles. You are sovereignly elected exiles. And you are not just exiles. You are also sovereignly scattered exiles. And verse 1, the second resource that Peter gives us is he says that these exiles are exiles... Of the dispersion. The technical word or the Greek word is diaspora. It was a technical term for Jews who had been scattered throughout the Mediterranean world, who were dispersed, scattered, all around. Jews still talk about the diaspora today. But Peter takes up this word and he applies it to Christians who were scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. But he wants you to know that even though you've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire, it's not random. But there's actually an intentionality to it. There are a couple ways where he he communicates this intentionality. First, he wants us to know that this scattering was part of God's plan. Look verse 2. It says that being scattered in exile is according to the foreknowledge of God. Now that word foreknowledge can be very confusing in English. We hear foreknowledge and we think, does that mean to know beforehand? And certainly God knows all things beforehand, but the word foreknowledge doesn't just mean that. It means that it's about God's predetermined plan. That's why later in verse 20 of this chapter, Peter will talk about Jesus as a sacrificial lamb who was foreknown as a sacrificial lamb before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times. In other words, Jesus was not a sacrificial lamb way back in eternity, but his being a sacrificial lamb was according to the predetermined plan of God. Peter also preaching in Acts chapter 2, Acts records a sermon of Peter's, and there in that sermon, he says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, what Peter is saying is that Jesus' death was a part of the settled plan of God. And what he is also saying is that your exile is a part of God's intentional and settled plan. You know, we we put it on our houses. We put it on our cars sometimes. Uh, we put it in cards when we send it to people. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, right? The initial context of that is the plan for your exile. Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles in Babylon, and he's saying, God knows the plans that he has for you. Therefore, bloom where you're planted because God has planted you there intentionally. So, next time you put up on your your house, for I know the plans I have for you, you just remember that that plan is for you to be here in exile. And it's intentional, it's part of God's intentional plan. And here's what this means it means that you weren't here by accident. I know some of you, you think, you know, I made some wrong decisions in life. I chose the wrong job. I went to the wrong college. You may have chosen the job, wrong job. You may have, uh, have chosen the wrong college, but you're being in Santa Barbara right now is part of God's intentional plan. He has you here. Your neighbors are part of his plan. Where you live is part of his plan. Your clerk, your check, your checkout person, your checker at at, at the stores that you shop out are part of his plan. The people that go to your gym are part of his plan. Your coworkers are part of his plan. That person that annoys you in the cubicle with you is part of his intentional plan. The people who sit next to you at church on Sunday who are next to you in the pews right now, they are part of his plan. It's all a part of his plan. This is God's intentional purpose. So Peter wants us to know that not only is it part of his plan, though, but he also placed you here for a purpose. He communicates that purpose in verse 2. It's for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. Peter is picking up on language from Exodus and when God made the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, that idea of sprinkling with blood. There, when God makes a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai, he says this, I have chosen you out of all the families of the earth for all the earth is mine to be my treasured possessions. And then he says, you shall be a kingdom of priests to me and a holy nation. And I have given you these laws, these distinct, these unique, these, these particular laws to make you a distinct, a separate, a holy people. And when people see you obeying these laws, they're going to come and they're going to ask and they're going to say, who are you and and what are these strange laws you have? And you're going to then mediate my presence as a kingdom of priests. That's why I have called you in the world and that is the covenant that I am making with you. I have called you out. I have elected you for a purpose to make a covenant with you and that covenant is for the purpose of mission to the nations. And then the people say, all that you have said, we will do it. We will obey. We will obey. And then God seals that covenant by sprinkling blood on the people, the blood of the covenant. Peter is saying that you are in covenant relationship, church, with God. And that he has sprinkled you, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have been set apart for a purpose. To obey him. To have faith in Jesus Christ. To live in covenant commitment to him. And that covenant commitment means mediating his presence to the places in which he has scattered you. To Santa Barbara. And this is for a purpose. That that's why you're here. So we are called, that means, that means, by the way, that you are not just scattered, but you are sown. The word diaspora comes from the word to sow, like a farmer sows. With intentionality, you have been planted here to bear fruit for God in this world. My daughter Well, I'll say this. A year or so ago, maybe a little more, I started seeing this very strange plant growing in our flower bed. And I know what you're thinking, Kyle, those are called weeds. Yes. But this is not an ordinary weed, and it was sprouting up, and there was a vine, and it was kind of growing fast, and then all of a sudden, it started to have a a, a vegetable growing on it, and eventually, we realized that this is a squash, and I'm thinking, like, how did this random squash get in the middle of our succulent garden, right? And it's like taking over, it's going through all the vines and all that, and then we realized all of a sudden that 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 didn't just, we are like... Did I eat a squash and go outside and spit the seed or something? You know, I'm like, this just feels so random. And then later on, we find out that my daughter took one of the seeds from the squash that we had at dinner, and she intentionally planted it there, (laughs) right in the middle of the succulent garden. It was no accident that it was there. And she not only intentionally planted it there, we found out that she had been taking her water from dinner that she's supposed to drink, and during the day, she's like taking it outside, and she would water that thing every day. Nurture it and care for it as this squash grew and grew and grew and took over our succulent garden. That's how God has planted you in this city. That's how God has planted you in this world. To be distinct, to be different. But it's not without intention, it is not random, it is intentional. And He cares for you, He has set you apart by the Spirit. You say, Kyle, but you don't know how hard my life is. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know, you don't know the, the job that I have. You don't know how my clients react. You don't know how my patients react. You don't know how difficult it is in this world. It's, it's hard. You mean, you mean it feels like exile? Yeah, I know. I live here too. But remember, the God who planted you here, he, he cares for you that He elected you, that He loved you, that He consecrated you by the Spirit. And not only that, He has sprinkled you with the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, He knows what it's like to be sown in this world, to be in exile. Unless a seed is dies and buried in the ground, it can bear no fruit. Jesus speaking of himself he was planted in this ground for you and he sprung up and burst forth in resurrection life for you and this covenant that God makes with you it is better it is better than the mosaic covenant because the blood of bulls and goats could no longer and could never take away sin, but the blood of Jesus, it cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And Peter will go on to say that he gave himself the just for the unjust to bring us to God so that we might be accepted by him. And that you were bought not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how much he, you mean to him. He has washed you, he has consecrated you, he protects you here. And just as my daughter lovingly cared for that squa Plant so he lovingly cares and tends for you. So you can live in this world as his holy people, his treasured possession, and you can declare his excellencies to a world that desperately needs to hear them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.